So just before we finish up today's show, I want to let you know about my next group program, my health kickstart and detox. The best way to start diving into your health, if this is what you're doing and my podcast is motivating you to get started, is to start looking at nutrition, the right way to eat for your body and understanding that, as well as digestion, because you are what you absorb and not just what you eat. And so I teach how to ensure your digestive system is even turned on so that you can benefit from the food that you're putting into your body, as well as sugar. Where is it sneaking into your diet, even when you're trying to be careful? Unfortunately, it's in everything these days, and so it does tend to sneak in. So I combine all of this learning in a group program for support for you, along with setting you up for success on your detox program providing recipes and meal plans, etc., so that you can truly enjoy the benefits of getting those toxins out. I've never had someone get to the end of my program and go, gee, I wish I didn't do that. Instead, I get to hear all of their amazing success stories like, wow, my, I have such mental clarity now. My aches and pains are gone. I'm sleeping better. My bloating and gas and indigestion is gone. So I love hearing that. It motivates me to keep sharing with others because I truly do believe when we get the toxins out, when we create a body that is inhospitable to disease and we make it a lifestyle, that we can get rid of the chronic illness that we have in our world today. So click the show notes to learn more about the program. The link is there. And if you have any questions, book a call with me so we can chat and figure out, is this the right program for you? I look forward to hearing from you. Imagine getting up every day full of energy as if you were in your 20s again. What would that be like? What would that be worth to you? What is your health worth to you? Think about it. Your health isn't everything, but without it, everything else is nothing. And yet too many of us are taking it for granted until something goes wrong. No one wakes up hoping to be diagnosed with a disease or chronic illness. And yet we've never been taught how to be proactive in our health through our school system or public health. As a registered health coach and integrative health practitioner, I believe it is time this information is made available to everyone. Combining new knowledge around your health and the ability to do my functional medicine lab tests in the comfort of your own home will allow you to optimize your health for today and all your tomorrows. Don't wait for your wake up call. Welcome back to another episode of the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. Today, I am here with the esteemed Dr. John Demartini, and I'm so excited to have you on the show, Dr. John. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure. And I want to share uh, your bio a little bit about you. Uh, and then have you share a little bit more about the powerful work that you're doing so that the audience knows who you are. So Dr. John Demartini is a world-leading human behavior specialist, polymath, researcher, global educator, and founder of the Demartini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. He has five decades of research across multiple disciplines, and his work has been described by his students as the most comprehensive body of work 
an extensive library of wisdom, as well as wisdom of the highest and most valuable order. He is an international best-selling author with so many books out there that we've probably lost count, including the number one bestseller, The Breakthrough Experience. And he's studied over 30,000 books across academic disciplines and has presented his insights alongside some of the world's most influential people, including Sir Richard Branson and Deepak Chopra. He's also been featured in The Secret, as well as documentaries like Oh My God with Hugh Jackman, and more recently, How the Body Heals Itself, The Inside Effects, which is how we were connected. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I'm excited to dive into this conversation. I love your work. And to start out, I would just love to do a little bit of a backstory. What led you down this line of work that is really quite unique in how you look at human health and human wellness? Well, let's see if I can do the short version here. (laughs) Uh, I was challenged as a child in the learning field. I wasn't able to read. I didn't read my first book till I was 18. Okay. Uh, I had a speech impediment, uh, arm and leg that was internally rotated. Um, I was told in first grade I would never be able to read, write, communicate, never amount to thing, never go very far in life. Dropped out of school. Was a street kid, um, loved surfing. I, I picked up surfing when I was nine. I wasn't in the surf capital of the world in Texas, so I hitchhiked to California and down to Mexico when I was 14, and then made my way to Hawaii when I was 15. I lived under a bridge, a park bench, a bathroom, an abandoned car, a tent, and I became a surfer. Long-haired hippie surfer from 69. Well, I started really going, you know, big wave riding around 69, 70. And got in some movies and some magazines and stuff. And we thought my career was going to be a surfer. Nearly died at 17. Was led to a health food store and a yoga class to go listen to a lecture. I never went to lectures. But I was led to this lecture. And um, as a result of almost dying. And one night, one man named Paul Bragg, which a lot of people probably know of, Bragg's amino acids and that. Paul C. Bragg was speaking. And one night, one hour, this one man absolutely inspired me to believe that I could overcome my learning problems and someday become intelligent. I never thought that was going to happen. I was pretty good on a surfboard, that kind of intelligence, but not reading and writing and stuff. That night, I had a dream to uh, overcome my learning problems, learn how to speak properly, and I want to be a teacher. I want to be intelligent be a teacher. So I had a dream that night of traveling the world, going to every country in the world, (laughs) and becoming intelligent and teach. That's how it all started. And since that time, I've now spoken in 194 countries to a lot of people with radio, television, newspapers, magazines, podcasts, movies, everything else were 6 billion people almost. So I've been blessed to never give up on the dream. Whoever's listening out there, if you really, really, really have something that's deeply meaningful, please give yourself permission to never give up on it. And, you know, if, if everybody, if you do it long enough, people will die out and you'll be at the top. <laughs> Just got to stay with it. <laughs> I love that message though, because you, had that dream, you envisioned it, 
And because you envisioned it, you were able to make that happen. And so I, I, I was just relentless in the pursuit of that, what I felt was my calling in life. And I just do it every single day. I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing than teach, research, write, and travel. That's it. That's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm, I just sailed into Boston today. and We're in Boston Harbor right here. And uh, I sail around the world and I teach, I research, and I write every day, seven days a week. And I love that you have such a passion for this and for sharing this and getting this message out because it's life-changing. There's so many people that don't yet realize the impact of our thoughts on our health and on our ability to be who we want to be. And you gave me goosebumps telling me your story because I was just talking to a girlfriend last night who, when her girls were in grade four, they were told by their teacher, don't try to get A's. You're never going to be able to get A's. And as the mother, she was so angry that the teacher had said that in front of her children because she said they can work harder and they could get A's. And the teacher still said, no, they won't be able to get A's. And yet they both have master's degrees now. One of them is on the path to being an Olympic athlete. They're so successful in their life. But teachers don't realize the impact of the words that they said because that mom had to work so hard to overcome that limiting belief that was instilled in her children in grade four. And for you, I think you said it was grade one. Yeah, well, you know, uh, <laughs> Thomas Edison, you know the story about Thomas Edison. I'm not he sure. Was sent, he was sent home from the school and was told that he was incompetent to be in the school. And But the mom didn't tell Thomas that that's what the letter that he was sent home to tell his mom was, that he was kicked out of school, he was incompetent, was not able to be taught. She said to, to Thomas, uh, your son is a genius. He's too advanced for this school. Um, I would suggest that you teach him yourself and give him a chance to excel. You know, she turned it into something different. He became a genius because of mom's statement. Mm -hmm. I I would go to the, my first grade teacher if I could have and hug her. Not because, you know, you know, she did what she thought was wise at the time. And I'm grateful for that because if I hadn't had that void, right. I may never have that drive. So I, I don't, I, I'm a firm believer that no matter what happens in your life, supportive or challenging, it's on the way, not in the way. Right. And if we don't take the eye, don't look through the eyes that see it, we hold ourselves back. We become a victim of history, not a master of destiny. So I'm a firm believer that the quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you're asking. If you ask questions that equilibrate the mind and liberate you from judgments that you use that you think are in the way, transform it and ask a new question. So how is that statement by the teacher helping you fulfill your dream? <laughs> how specifically is having that? I mean, I had, can I share an interesting story? Please do. This, this young boy uh, who was an orphan and he was picked up by a foster family. And no matter what they did, he just seemed like he just moped. He just wasn't getting it. And he was believing he was rejected and believing he was an orphan and believing this and this and this and this. And some psychologists got in his ear and probably got him convinced that that is why he's got these problems. And um, but somebody sent him to me, uh, you know, the, the the parents, which one of the parents, I'm not sure, made the decision, but they they sent it to me. 
And I said, you know how to do the internet? And he goes, I do. I said, let's go explore something. And I said, what exactly happened in your life? Well, my mom left me and I was given up for adoption and eventually foster and then adopted or given up to be with somebody else. I said, let's go look up how many famous adopted of orphans are. And there were 700 famous people. Mm-hmm. Sir Isaac Newton, who wrote Principia. His father died when he was born. His mother left him at a young age and left him with this other guy at this apothecary place. And he uh, was left by both parents. So he wanted to know the laws of Mother Nature and the will of God the Father as a surrogate expression of finding the divine master plan. He wanted to know the divine master plan. So, hey, I've made a list of these. I got seven of names. I said, you, and I made him go through and said, this is the guy that founded this. This is the guy that discovered this. This is the guy that says, you are in that category. You are special and you're destined to do something extraordinary like these guys. His life completely changed on that day. And he said, I have been given, I don't want to let my mom down. I want to do something extraordinary. So she knows that she didn't give me up. She gave me up because she thought I was special. I needed special attention more than she could give. That was an act of love. He saw the whole thing differently, reframed it, and went on to do something extraordinary. So it's not what happens. It's not whether you start or what you've been through, what you're going through. It's how you perceive it, what you decide to do it, and how you act from it. Absolutely. And I'm a firm believer in waking people up and see their resourcefulness and go and do something extraordinary with their life and quit running their story about how they're a victim of this and victim of that. And that doesn't even, that's not resourceful. How did whatever's happened in your life helping you do exactly what you dream about? That's the question you want to ask and answer it and be accountable and then turn it into something of opportunity. I love that. And again, you gave me goosebumps telling that story. I call them truth bumps. And I love the phrase and it's really what I go to. And I didn't learn it until, I don't know, five years ago when somebody said to me, how is this happening for you instead of to you to get out of that victim state and into that place of curiosity, where, as you said, ask the right questions. Exactly. And be able to move forward and not stay stuck. So most most of us are sitting there running our story instead of making history. True. And we're all here to make history if we would get out of our way. Exactly. I've also heard you say that we all have the capacity and extraordinary capacity to bring wellness and healing to our body with the touch of a heart. Please explain what you mean by that to our listeners. Well, I could go, uh, I'll probably go wise to go deep and superficial on that. I think I've had the opportunity to speak in front of thousands of people. And um, if I all of a sudden start to speak about something that really just makes me come to tears, a story that truly is inspiring. You know, I have a young boy who was eight years old that was autistic. He's now charging $1,400 an hour doing consulting. And they thought he would never be able to speak. And, the, and the, the transformation in one decade is just astonishing what this kid, he's read 14,000 books. Wow. It's amazing. So, you know, I was sharing a story that was inspiring and I got into tears sharing. It's almost, you can't not do it. You just well up. It's not something you plan or, you know, structure. It's just comes out sometimes. Yeah. I can sometimes say that story and I don't get as much welled up. Sometimes I just get welled up. I don't yeah. know. And 
the whole room. We got it on video. The whole room, 9,000 people were in tears at the same time. There was no motion in the room. Everybody was completely stationary in a trance state with tears in their eyes, just present, identifying with that story in their own wor world. Mm -hmm. And so when I open my heart, it has a ripple effect in open people's hearts. And when you do, in that moment, the vicissitudes of emotions that distract you with impulses and instincts that are polarized, that cause autonomic dysregulation and epigenetic alteration of the genetic expression doesn't have to create symptoms to guide them back to their heart because they're already there. Mm -hmm. So I really believe that, that helping people reach a state of grace and love I, I wrote a book many years ago called Count Your Blessings, The Healing Power of Gratitude and Love. I really believe that gratitude and love are still two most powerful healing mechanisms we have. And I don't mean, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. I mean a profound uh, chill in the spine, heart opening, synchronous, gamma synchronous in the brain, tears of gratitude, eureka moment where you're just speechless. That love heals. Very true very deep very powerful and it's part of our human body's innate ability to heal exactly and what's interesting uh, we are taught and paul dirac the nobel prize said something really beautiful when i was 18 reading his book with the help of a dictionary and encyclopedia and a whole bunch of other things <laughs> um he said it's not that we don't know so much it's that we know so much that isn't so we're inundated with misinformation. Yes. And we're not present with objective reason. And when we are objective, we're whole. When we're subjectively biased, we're in-group, out-group biased towards information and people and we judge. And every time we judge, we go into our amygdala where we are skew our reality instead of our executive center where we're seeing actuality, self-actualized. And we, in that amygdala state, we're avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. And we're looking for a monopole. And the Buddhist tradition, they say that this, the search for that which is unobtainable, one pole, and the avoidance of that which is unavoidable, the other pole, is a source of human suffering. And so the second we're down in there, we're in survival mode, which creates distress response. Because whatever we seek, we fear the loss of. Whatever we try to avoid, we seek the gain of. So we're living in an anxiety-ridden state of consciousness the moment we polarize ourselves instead of synthesize ourselves and come to integrate our authentic self from our heart. The heart is a confirmation. The tears of gratitude and the chill bumps are a confirmation of the truth and the knowing and the objective state. And that is what heals. And that is what every sign and symptom of our body and in our life is trying to get us to, to maximize our potential and expression of our genius in the world. And that's exactly why I call them truth bumps rather than just goosebumps, because I know wow. my heart of hearts that when that my body gives me that reaction, that yeah. whatever I've heard or I've said is the truth. And then I need to take that and act on that in some way. Or one, of my programs, one of the programs that I teach on uh, self-mastery is there's a form in this manual that I give out, which is 1,600 pages. <laughs> and uh, and I give them this manual, and then there's a document form 
that documents every moment you have one of those goosebumps, every moment you get a tear of gratitude, whether you're reading a book, whether you're listening to a lecture, whether you're watching something on TV, whether you're listening to a singer, whether you're watching a baby born or whether you're watching a marriage or whatever it may be, whenever you get moments of tears of gratitude, which are autonomic regulated gamma synchronicities in the brain where the brain is now in sync and organized and integrated, it's a confirmation of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a truth bump, because you're now seeing things mindfully instead of biased. And you're liberated from that emotional bondage. Because anything we infatuate occupies space and time in our mind and it's noise. And anything we resent occupies space and time in our mind and noise. But anything we love, we clear the noise. Yes. And we have clarity and purity of pure reflective awareness about life. The see or the seeing and the seeing is the same. What we see out there is just a reflection of our love inside here. And that is no doubt that's still the greatest healer. I, I used to, many years ago, I, I worked at St. Luke's Hospital in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. and Texas Children's Hospital, and also the Texas Heart Institute. I was in all three at the same time doing different things. And I had the opportunity to deliver the surgery schedule to Dr. DeBakey and Dr. Cooley. Now, they were the two top cardiovascular surgeons probably in America at the time. And it was great to get to know these guys. And they gave me the opportunity to go watch them in the domes and go watch them in the theaters doing their performances with their disciples because they had these people doing stuff for them. And I watched Dr. Cooley go patient to patient to patient in the afternoons, because he did surgeries early in the morning. In the afternoons, he was going patient to patient patient. And he had his little disciples with him, right? They're all going there with these little these little pads. They're not actually writing anything. It just looks like they're as part of a set, really. It's like a movie set. And he would go and he would grab this woman's hand and hold her in hand and said, Mrs. Jones, I just want to let you know that your surgery was an absolute success. Soon you're going to be able to play with your grandkids. You'll be able to work in the garden. You're going to be able to hug your husband. And you won't be having difficulty breathing. I just want to let you know that it's such an honor to be able to work with you and to help you get back to your life again. And he would not stop in his conversation until they got a tear. Because mm. he knew, and I know he knew because I chatted with him, that part of the healing was the surgical procedure. Yes. But the real healing came in the bedside manner of making sure these people felt back and back to at ease and they felt whole again, back to love. And a lot of other surgeons never got that little skill. Yeah. And they could never compete with this guy. And he had people from all over the world coming to him, primarily because the bedside manner and, and he was definitely knowledgeable, but he had the skill of communicating and articulating and helping people distress and become present because he was present. I say that there's six great healers. Gratitude for what you do, mm-hmm. love for what you do, being inspired by the vision of being of service to people in a sustainable, fair exchange manners with people, enthusiastically delivering your service, whatever the service is, being absolutely certain about the results that you see in your mind's eye, and being totally present with them when you're doing the work. That's a common denominator I found in all great heaters around the world, regardless of their profession. And I absolutely love that it aligns with so much of what I do as a 
NLP, timeline therapy, and hypnotherapy teacher and trainer, that to get your client to reach the goals they want to achieve, you have to, A, first believe they can do it so they can tap into your belief. And you have to go there with them as the guide. And if you can't do that, you can't get them there. And so I love what this doctor was doing because he was instilling belief in these patients who after surgery might've been in pain and feeling down and feeling blah and wondering, is, has this been a success? Am I going to heal? And he came and gave them that belief. I had a, a very interesting little study years ago where they were measuring cytokines in mm-hmm. people, the pro or anti-inflammatory autonomically induced cellular responses in the immune system. And uh, when people felt that something happened, let's say they got in a car accident, they're angry at the person that ran them into them. They have a certain level of cytokines that are completely different. But if I ask them, so how did this help you? They go, what? So how did this help you? Are you getting closer to your family? Well, yes, they're all joined me. You getting a break from your work? Yeah. And what else? Is it making you stop and look at what your priorities are in life? Yes, it is. And what have you gained in insights? And I start to ask him spiritually, mentally, vocationally, financially, familially, socially, physically, how is it helping you? And the moment I get them to stop and realize, this, this is not necessarily a terrible event. This is also an opportunity. Within the crisis is a blessing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The second I do, the cytokines change. The pain thresholds change. Our, when we feel like we're, we're have an expectation that's unmet, we feel sorrow. When we have an expectation that's met, we feel joy. Mm-hmm. If we have unrealistic expectations and we're angry and we're expecting something that's unrealistic, we prolong the inflammatory response and we change the thresholds of pain in the brain and the, from a top-down perspective. And instead of the spinal thalamic tract relaying information over to the brain and the thalamus and become conscious, we can overrule that and shut down the gates and change the pain thresholds and change the cytokines. We have an enormous capacity to transform physiology with our mind and our heart. Yes. And so a lot of people don't realize how important it is to find out how whatever is happening is on the way because it changes the healing speed and Mm -hmm. the levels of thresholds of of neurotransmitters and modulators and hormones and and these autonomic signal molecules, which are cytokines. So we really have the ability to change physiology, but we don't get taught that many times. We just, well, you have this and and it's crazy what's going on. Nobody gets to study applied physiology and get to discover the magnificence and power that the body has to heal. Very seldom do we get that. Exactly. And we so often treat all the organs independently as opposed to this connected being of mind, body, spirit. Yeah. And you can't separate them. You know, when I, when I was in professional school, um, I was never satisfied with etiology unknown in pathology text. I was never satisfied with the idea that the, the bugs are the cause of your problem because some people are around the bugs and they don't get the problem. So there's, there's gotta be an immune function. And I remember reading, and I and I remember presenting something in 1979, 78-9, right at the junction, about October of 78, a presentation on the benefits and drawbacks, the positives and negatives of microorganisms. 
I did this presentation for like two hours and people walked out of the class. They said, this is crazy. You know, you, there's not good bacteria. And the, the immune system is there to get rid of those bacteria. I said, nope. And I said then that the, the immune system is a manager, a wildlife manager. And there's just as many advantages and benefits of these microorganisms. And we need to honor them. And I gave them a new title. I called them vitalins because I didn't know what to call them to, to, you know, for viruses, vitalins. Right. Today, that's now mainstream. Scientific American is considered the immune system of the seventh sense. And the seventh sense is monitoring on receptor sites all the microorganisms to letting the autonomics in the brain know how to change secretions and change it to get more microorganisms to grow and to subside other ones and to make sure they repopulate for the maximum function of their body. Their cells working for us in an endosymbiotic manner, in a sense. And so I'm a firm believer that uh, we have the capacity to transform our perceptions of our reality, use those perceptions to transform our physiology, and know how to interpret what the physiology is whispering to us to guide us. You know, it's amazing. People go out there and they'll pig out and they'll just overeat and they'll go to the doctor and say, well, I, you know, I've got really bad cramps and bloat and a puffy headache and this and that. Well, you need you have you need an antacid. You need an antihistamine. You need an antiflatulence. You need an anti-algesic, you know, anti-anti-anti-symptomatology. Everything. It's, it's all palliative. There's no curative anything, just palliative. And I said to the people, I said, your body is doing exactly what it's designed to do. It's creating exactly the symptoms to let you know to eat wisely, to eat moderately, and not let your amygdala and your ghrelin and leptin hormones get all out of whack because of your emotions that are making you not govern your behavior. It's a feedback system. You're shutting down the feedback and you're not getting the lesson and not learning from the wisdom of the body. It was Walter Cannon who wrote a book called The Wisdom of the Body. He talked about the homeostatic mechanisms of the body that are brilliant. And we don't honor that. We're just palliative. And yeah. we're holding back the potential we have to bring our own wellness and live wisely. Are you a practitioner or a coach listening to this if so, I would love to ask you, do you use hypnotherapy in your practice working with clients? And if not, would you like to? The power of hypnotherapy is limitless. And so often we experience our clients struggling to reach their goals. It's because they're coming up against their own brick walls and getting stuck. But you can help them through the power of hypnosis, break through all of that working with their unconscious mind to put the suggestions in, to have them taking the action to achieve the results that they want. They are thrilled with your coaching techniques. They're getting the results they want. You feel amazing because you are helping your client get the results they want. It's a win-win. And another win is that it's an added revenue stream for you in your business. So if you like the feel of helping your clients get the results they want, if you like the sound of that, then definitely reach out Melissa at yourguidedhealthjourney.com or click the link tree link below for my unlimited power of hypnosis class to learn more. It's a weekend designation program that I teach valid in 42 countries. You write an exam after taking the experiential course and you can be admitted to the American Board of Hypnotherapy and start using hypnotherapy one-to-one -one with your clients and have them achieving the results they want. 
and society, unfortunately, has normalized us ignoring our symptoms. Yeah. And reading them off as, oh, it's aging. I'm supposed to feel worse as I get older and my you know, joints are supposed to hurt. Or it's my genes. I'll blame it on my genes. Or I'll blame it on seasonal allergies versus what is this symptom trying to tell me? And again, getting curious and asking the right questions. Yeah, I've, I don't know how many people have come to me and said, you know, I've got a clinical depression. I've got a biochemical imbalance. And I, <laughs> I tell them a story. I said, Imagine you're in a room and there's only one door in and I open the door and an eight foot tiger, I release into the room <laughs> and it spots you <laughs> salivating. And all of a sudden it starts running towards you and leaps in the air and is about to eat you. And all of a sudden you, you have a men in black pen, stop it midair. Right before it's about to eat you, if I go and do your blood chemistries and your brain chemistries, I guarantee you can have osteocalcin, substance P, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, so, uh, serotonin and enkephalons and endorphins and oxytocin and vasopressin and dopamine are all going to shut down. The other ones are going to come up. Histamine's going up, right? Testosterone's going up. I said, now. If you go to get blood chemistry, well, the doctor says you got a biochemical imbalance. But what you have is in your mind a ratio of perceptions that are inducing a ratio of changes into transmitters. And many people are storing in their subconscious mind all these stored emotional memories that are affecting those chemistries. And they're not clearing the emotions and neutralizing them, take them to the gratitude state. They're just carrying them on and burying them in the subconscious mind and wondering why they have biochemical imbalance. But if I took that pen and went pop, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the tiger stopped, stood up, reached, put his arms around you, and said, I'm Tony Tiger. You're great. And all your life, you wanted to meet Tony Tiger because you ate Frosted Flakes as a kid. <laughs> now you go, oh, my God, it's Tony Tiger. And now, in that moment, if I go do your blood chemistry, within 200 milliseconds later, serotonin's up now oxytocin is up vasopressin's up dopamine's up enkephalons are up your pleasure's up all those other stress responses are going down and now all of a sudden well now i have a biochemical imbalance in the favor of being inspired positively <laughs> so when i see people taking a blood test a frozen moment in time and saying well you've got a, bio a biochemical imbalance and here's take this drug i've i've helped you know, a lot of people transform their perceptions and change those physiologies without having to take anything. So I'm not saying that there's not some place for some things in those times, but that's not the first choice for most people. I absolutely agree. And I love that that's your approach. And I wish more psychologists would follow your approach and look at where are the imbalances, what's going on in terms of your life and the factors in your life. And as you say, the thoughts, the mental toxicities, the emotional toxicities that have been stuffed down and causing a backpack weighted with rocks that you're lugging around and wondering why you don't feel good. Exactly. When, when a person has, when a person has uh, their blood sugar up, diabetes, they call it. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, a lack of insulin. 
and too much glucagon. Well, if something comes up and challenges your values and puts a fight or flight response in the sympathetic nervous system stimulates glucagon and shuts down insulin. If somehow you get relaxed and you see more support than challenge, the insulin goes up, the glucagon goes down. These are autonomic responses from the various cells inside the pancreas. But they don't tell you that. They don't tell you that there is sitting inside you a challenge and a response of defense and a bitterness going on, causing the sweetness, <laughs> the sugar responses to fight or flight because you need sugar and oxygen and your heart rate's up and everything else, your blood pressure's up. It's all responding to this sympathetic response. And they don't tell you that. They just say, well, you need insulin and they put you in insulin. I've taken people who were on insulin off insulin over time by clearing all of the resentments and all the things that were bitter to and all the things that they were self-righteous to and calm down that self-righteous defense mechanism and change the chemistries. And people go, what? Well, I don't believe that. Uh, medical people sometimes, uh, I don't know that. We, we can watch it, monitor it, watch it go down and change, literally on the spot. So these things, that we have, we have way more power in our ability, but most people aren't willing to take the responsibility to manage it. They're wanting a quick fix. Yes. And that costs them. Immediate gratification costs your life. Just like in economics, immediate gratification is not going to make you financially independent. Deferred gratification will. Yes. And the same thing as the Stoics wisely said in their times, you know, deferred gratification and learning to forsake immediate gratification and the immediate pleasures, eating the sweets for the sake of wise longevity, eating wise foods with the glycemic index is not so crazy. And so people just don't, they, the education may be available, but they're not always listening because they want to fix. And I would venture to say that it's not as readily available as education no. that tells you if you have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, go talk to your doctor about this drug that's on television five times every hour. 30%, I believe, and I'm, I, I, I have to go back. I could get the quote. I know exactly where it is. I could go dig it. But around 30% or more of all the income in the healthcare industry is going towards marketing. Mm -hmm. The pharmaceutical industries spend most of their money on marketing. Yes. So it's getting into people's heads. I've got an ill, a pill for every ill. I've right. got a deficiency. I, when I was in uh, undergraduate, I was in the pre-med honor society. And I only went that way, not because I was interested in getting into medicine necessarily. It's just I went that route because that was the most efficient route for the healthcare fields. And I had a Dr. Kaminsky. And um, she said, well, John, you're the top student. You got the top grades. Uh, where do you want to go to medical school? And I said, I've chosen not to go to medical school. I said, what? I said, you're an honor student. You're in the pre-med honor society. Why? What do you mean? It says, I, I, I don't believe we have an excess of drugs, but the excess of organs and a deficiency of drugs. Right. I'm interested in the power that made the body heals the body. I'm interested in the intrinsic capacity because there were two schools of thought in ancient Greece. The Nidians and the Cone School. And the, the Nidians always believed it was external cause. External, you know, evil spirits caused the problem. So they they did surgery by doing trephining operations to relieve the evil spirits. Or yeah. potions. Medicine started with potions <laughs> to get rid of evil spirits. So I never believed it was just outside. I'm not denying that you could be in an infested area where you might get sick, but I'm just saying that that's not where most of it is. 
most of it's an inside job. So I went, I wanted to go inside and work from with the inside job. I think that's why the inside effect of the movie was useful because, you know, people are focusing on the outside. They, they live in false causalities and false attribution biases to extrinsic sources instead of look within and realize that they have, they have control over perceptions, decisions, and actions. They don't have control over the external. But if you have a hundred people that get around COVID, not everybody gets COVID. And not everybody gets sick. I never got COVID. I still I never, never got, got COVID. COVID either. Me neither. I never got COVID. So somehow the virus knew that I was probably going to do a lecture and it was probably not going to be honored. And so they probably avoided me and says, don't jump into that cell. That guy's, you know, he's different. Let's go to those cells. But whatever it is, and a lot of people didn't do it. So it can't be only the virus. That's a factor. I'm not denying that there's a stimulus. The body gets stimuli. But it's your perception, decisions, and actions that have an impact on that and your, your immune response. And the more graced you are, the more inspired you are, the more loving you are, the more enthused and inspired you are, living congruently with who you are authentically, which is what your body is trying to do, the less you're concerned about that. But if you're not doing that, your acquired immune system, not your innate immune system, is suppressed, and you're vulnerable to all kinds of things. So I'm a firm believer in empowering people instead of... Um, palliatively treating people. I absolutely love that. And my experience around COVID of not having it either, and there's very few people that I know that haven't had it, was that I was like, hmm, I don't care. Because I knew I had a strong immune system. I wasn't phased by it. And as a result, I wasn't fearful of it. As a result, my immune system was stronger. As exactly. a result, Maybe the virus got inside my body and I just didn't have any symptoms. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> the probability of being around people that had the virus is pretty high, but somehow yeah. my husband had it. Not. One of my daughters had it. My other daughter didn't have it, who was also the one going, I don't care. <laughs> Interesting, right? Yeah. And that yeah. is our attitude, our attitude does have an impact. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. I was, I was working with a cancer patient and uh, a number of years ago. This is probably 10, 12 years now, 13 years now. Um, and the let's see, her husband's sister was a nurse in an oncology unit. And she and I were talking. And I was involved in the Cancer Prevention Control Association in Houston, Texas. I was the president of that group a long time ago, and I got to work with a lot of cancer patients. And she made a statement, which I thought was really on. She says, the doctors are doing all the treatments, but the nurses are interacting with the people in their lives and what's really going down. And we have, and she didn't, she didn't want to admit this really, but the truth was she was doing it. She says, we have a pool going on in the, in the nurses department on which ones are going to come in and which ones are going to go out of here alive. And we're just curious because we're noticing behaviors, attitudes, um, how they respond, whether they're going to make it. The doctors don't pay attention to it, but we do. And we try our best to get them to have the right attitude to try to uplift them to see things and inspire them away. He says, because if we see a certain behavior, we know they're going to be making it. So they could see that. And she, would, she and I had a conversation about it. And I knew that because I've been in the healing arts 45 years now. So I've been watching this. Mm -hmm. And you can see the patterns which ones are probable, which ones are not based on their resilience. and That's one of my new books, The Resilient Mind, because resilience 
is when you have a balanced mind, when you have a highly polarized infatuation with something, you fear it's loss, a highly polarized resentment to something, you fear it's gain. And so you're living anxiety all the time and fear all the time when you're highly polarized. So if you go and get the sensational news gets a hold of you and you get emotional about it, you're more vulnerable. Absolutely. If you didn't know about the news and you're just sitting there and going about your business, you would probably have a stronger immune system sometimes. Absolutely. And that's why I'm actually grateful to our parent advisory council from school 20 years ago when my kids were in school and they suggested that we don't watch the nightly news over the dinner table. And at at first I was like, but wait, I want my children to be worldly children and know what's going on in the world. But then as I came to understand what that was doing to our nervous system, I wasn't in health and wellness at that time. I turned the television off. And at first I thought, oh, I won't know what's going on in the world. I might become this really shallow person. And then I very soon realized the news will find me through other channels, which isn't the nightly news, which is not only listening to it, but you get all the dramatic music with it that sucks you in more and builds that fear. Oh, no, I have to watch it versus exactly. reading it where you're just using one sense and you don't have the over-dramatization. And yeah, I'm going to believe that. It's very powerful. And, you know, when the pandemic started, I was doing daily meditations for people just to help people calm because, you know, the world went into panic, right? So just to help people calm. And one of the first things I did was talk about some of the things you've mentioned. A, what can you control and what can't you control? And be focused in the present on what you can control. And B, turn off the news. Just let it go. Gandhi, Gandhi said, I have no interest in the news. It's distracting from what our mission is. And I'm not interested in following history. I'm interested in creating history. Beautiful. I love that. So I am really intrigued to know, because I know the psycho- how psychology impacts our physiology, and that's been so much of your work. And what is it, though, that you saw all those years ago that had you really understand that where so many others aren't i mean you were doing the same studies other people were doing and yet you saw it was it an experience in your life that led you down this path or is it just i think i think i really did have a yearning to want to know health i I had a health problem when i was 17 years old and almost died right i think a combination of being told that you can't, I'll never be able to read or write or communicate or mount thing or never go very far in life. And then discovering that it wasn't so. Right. I had the capacity to do that. Made me wonder on numerous occasions, uh, I wonder what else I've been told it's not so. Mm. And it made me challenge authority instead of just subordinate to authority. And that made me stand out, not fit in. And made me think differently. And so as a result of that, I studied harder than most anybody else. Right. When the teacher would say, here's the textbook for the semester, our pathology text, I wasn't satisfied with that. My standard was higher. So I went out and got at least 10 textbooks and read all 10 of them to get different opinions. And then when the teacher would give a, a, a test, I remember I took this neurology class and this teacher gave this test and I read probably 50 books on neurology by the time I'd taken that test already and um, textbooks. And so I wrote in there, instead, of, there was like A, B, C, D, E, F, right? They give you like five answers, and you got to pick one of those and put a little dot in there. I said uh, A, outdated as of 1986 or 76 or something. Uh, B, um, if you add this new discovery. C is not the possible answer. 
and I'd put G. <laughs> I put G the answer. And I'd take it and and I and I and I got failed. They told me, no, you failed the test. You can't do that. And so I was really perturbed, as you can imagine. And the teacher didn't know who I was. I was new in the school. And um this is a professional school. And the teacher, I went to the office and I brought 49 books on neurology that I had devoured by then. 49. And I came to him and I had all these little pieces of paper. They didn't have stick them, postums or anything, right. just pieces of paper. And on the pages where I was backing up my, my statement. And I went there and I said, you have no right to fail me on this test. Who are you? I really challenged him. I was really perturbed. I said, here's my sources. Here's my authority. Here's the thing here. Um, here's the research. And I backed everything I set up. And went to the test and went through the thing. And he said, I thought it was a joke. I thought you were joking. You didn't know what to do. And you were dodging thing. I said, sir, I came here to learn. I didn't come here to pass a test and go party. I came here to learn neurology. I've read 49 books right here. You can see every one of them are underlined. I came here to learn neurology and no neurology. He goes, I had no idea. I'm very impressed. He said, you're out of my class. You don't have to take my class. It's obvious that you're way ahead of the class. I said, thank you, but I would like to still take the class. But if I take a test, I'd like to give feedback. He said, okay, that's fine. But you, as far as I'm concerned, you're not even in the class. Three weeks later, he got suspended for having an affair with one of the girls. Oh. <laughs> so he called me up. He says, John, I made a really foolish action. They've suspended me for a certain period of time. Can you teach the neurology class? I was just going to say, you should have been teaching it. Yes. <laughs> I did. I got to teach pathology, neurology, and embryology that, that year. I got to do that for all three of those classes. And it was so inspiring because I would rather teach it because it forces you to learn it. You really Absolutely. make sure you know your students. And, and that was perfect for me. And, and the, the, you know, it was great because there was a boring uh, embryology teacher. He was really slow and he was reading the text. And I said, this is crazy. So I, I just started asking questions and taking over the class. And people were like wanting to listen to me more than him. So I took over the class and he even let me do it because I thought this is crazy. I mean, we're, this is too slow. So you want to give yourself permission to set your own standards mm -hmm. and not subordinate it to the collective conscious idea about how it's supposed to be. Because the ought to's and supposed to's and got to's and have to's and must and shoulds and need to's and stuff may not be but moral hypocrisies by people that may not have a full awareness. And I absolutely love that. And I really want the listeners to take that in and share that with your children, because we can raise a whole next generation of kids that live that way. And in doing so, by asking the right questions, challenging what is known, they can truly create change in the world and live their best lives instead of feeling only a part of themselves because they know there's something more, but they're so squashed down by society. So you're such a beautiful, shining example of that, Dr. John. I love it. Thank you so much. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I could easily speak to you for another hour, but I want to honor your time. And as we wrap up here, I would love to ask you, what does don't wait for your wake up call mean to you? Um, you know, the magnificence of who you are is far greater than any fantasies you'll impose on yourself. And to the degree that you compare yourself to others and subordinate and inject the values of others into your life, you will distract yourself, dilute yourself, diffract yourself away from your power and momentum. 
So give yourself permission to shine, not shrink. Give yourself permission to be authentic, not gravitationally weighed down by how you're supposed to be and shine. And if you do, you'll do not only magnificent healing to your own being, but you'll also exemplify what's possible for other people. And Einstein said the greatest teacher is exemplification. You will do more for your, by your own, to your own kids, your own children, by exemplifying what's possible than any words you say. That's beautiful. And when you live that way, you don't get a wake-up call. You don't have to have a wake-up call. Exactly. I love it. So if people want to work with you, what have you got going on? How can people reach out to you, follow you, et cetera? And I know that you uh, have some free gifts, a free masterclass, find meaning and purpose on your path to self-mastery. If you can let people know how they can be in touch with you, access your resources, that would be wonderful. Well, if they just go to drdmartini.com, there's enough information on there to keep you busy for a full life. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also something really valuable on there, a value determination process to help you determine what your life demonstrates is most meaningful. So determine your values on my website. It's worth taking, but it's free. It's complimentary. It takes about 30 minutes of your time to ask 13 amazing questions to make you really reflect on what do you really, really, really want? And are you structuring your life accordingly? That could be helpful. And also, if you contact our, our contact number, you can get those those downloadables if they want. And so that's the best place. Just drdmartin.com. Perfect. I have that in the show notes. So thank you very much. And yes, that tool to you know determine your values that valuation process is very helpful for people because i know there's so many people out there going what is my purpose how do i figure that out and this will help you do that so thank you for your generosity and are there any last messages that you would like to leave the audience today as i said a moment ago many people compare themselves to others and they put people on pedestals and minimize themselves or put people in pits and exaggerate themselves And whenever you minimize or exaggerate yourself, you're not being yourself. And everybody wants to be loved for who they are. But if you're not being yourself, it's not easy to be loved for who you are. So the magnificence of who you really are, which comes from loving people, not judging people and putting them on pedestals or pits, but putting them in your heart, which opens the heart. It's not only healing, but it's transformative and it helps you empower all areas of your life. So walk the path of authenticity, prioritize your life. Prioritize everything you do, what you eat, what you feed your mind, who you associate with, how you spend your hours, how you spend your time. Prioritize it. Take command because nobody's going to get up in the morning and dedicate their life to your fulfillment except you. Take command of your life. I love it. So profound. And thank you again for your time to come and share your wisdom, your years of knowledge and research, and just being that example of being able to blow out those limiting beliefs and get from not reading to reading 49 books for one exam and 30,000 books in your lifespan to have this knowledge. It's incredibly inspirational. And to my audience, thank you again for tuning in and listening. And if you know someone who needs to hear this episode, please share it with them. Thank you for always being a follower of the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. Thank you for investing this time with me on the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I'm so glad you joined in. If you can take two minutes to share this episode with someone you think can benefit and have a positive impact on their life, that would be wonderful. 
please leave a review by going to your favorite podcast listening app and let me know what you enjoy or would like to hear more of. It will support me in my effort to bring the possibility of natural healing to a wider audience and help disrupt the sick care system we have today and make human health a global priority. Health is your true wealth.